0: I've mentioned before, uh, I don't watch a lot of TV, but one of my favorite TV shows ever was uh, a TV show called Columbo. I've mentioned this before. It's my favorite show. The reason I love Columbo, if you know Columbo, he was the, uh, you know, the homicide detector, you know, detective, the short guy, and he, 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 you know, he never has a light for his cigar. Uh, he wears the trench coat. And what's great about that show is, unlike every other detective show, What's great about Columbo is right at the very beginning of the show, you're told you're shown who the murderer is. Most shows wait to the end to reveal who the bad guy is. You know exactly who the villain is at the outset of the show. And then the rest of the show, you're watching as Columbo and everyone else discovers who the villain is. This is going to be a kind of a It's much of a stretch. But basically what I'm trying to tell you is the gospel according to Luke is kind of like Columbo in this way. There's no murderer, but this is what happens. Luke doesn't wait to the end of his book, the end of his gospel to reveal to us the identity of Jesus. In the opening two chapters of his gospel, he tells us clearly, plainly and repeatedly Who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. Luke chapter one and two repeatedly. Luke is showing us through the mouth of the messengers sent from heaven. The angels he's revealing through Mary and through Zechariah and through many others who bear witness and testify to the identity of Jesus Christ and what Jesus came to do. Now, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 19, 15, it says that only on the evidence of two or three witnesses is a claim verified. And so as we conclude this opening two chapters of the Gospel of Luke, Luke does something amazing. After hearing all this Uh, All these assertions about who Jesus is. He's the Son of God, the Son of the Most High God. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah, the long-awaited King from Israel. After hearing all of these titles ascribed to Jesus, in the closing part of chapter 2, beginning in verse 21 down to verse 39, Luke marshals out for us righteous testimony Concerning the identity of Jesus. What we find in our passage this morning is something amazing. We have a father and a mother. We have an old man and we have an old woman. And Luke, as it were, marshals them out for us. And each one of them bears witness, righteous witness to the identity of Jesus. What do these righteous witnesses say about Jesus? And what did they say he came to do? If you have your Bibles opened up to Luke chapter 2, we're going to begin in verses 21 to 24. And let's, let's notice this righteous testimony of a mom and a dad. The testimony of a righteous mom and dad. Let's start right there in verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, you'll notice that we're not told that Mary or Joseph say anything, but their actions actually speak louder than words. Just notice two things in verse 21. We're told that they named Jesus and they circumcised him. Do you see that? We're going to unpack that in a minute. But what I want you to notice in this passage is that Luke repeatedly, when he's talking about Mary and Joseph, he repeatedly tells us that they did all of these things for their newborn son in accordance with the law of the Lord. Did you notice that? So verse 22. Verse 23, verse 24, verse 27, verse 39. Everything they do is in accordance with the law of God, with God's law. So they, in obedience to God's law, they circumcise Jesus on the eighth day. That was, that was the covenant given to Abraham, Genesis 17. Circumcise all the male sons of Israel. That's what they do. Notice in obedience to God's word, they name their son Jesus, which means the Lord saves. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. So Luke presents Joseph and Mary to us as obedient, faithful parents that are doing all of these things because the Lord said so. Then look at verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem. Notice this phrase, to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And verse 24, underline this, and to offer a sacrifice according to what it is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now, I don't know about you, but when you're reading Luke chapter two, we often stop in verse twenty, don't we? Everything from Luke chapter two, verse one down to verse twenty is very familiar. Angels, shepherds, manger—we we get all that. We love that part. That's but but then. When you go to like a Christmas play, they don't do the, this part. They, they don't talk about this part. This seems kind of distant, and if we don't know the Old Testament well, it can seem kind of strange or bizarre. What's going, Why all this about uh, the, the dedication and the presentation? What's going on here? Well, just notice these two things. First, this is basically 40 days after he was born, eight days, right? I'm sorry, he, he's circumcised on the eighth day and then about 30, a little over 30 days later, they go down to Jerusalem. Why did they wait 40 days? Well, in accordance to the law of the Lord. Um, we're told in Leviticus chapter 12 that a, a woman who's given birth is ceremonially unclean for that amount of a time. So they had to wait for that amount of time according to the law in order to bring Jesus down to Jerusalem or up to Jerusalem. And they present him. To the Lord, notice right there, they present him, but they also offer a sacrifice. Do you see that they offer a sacrifice for purification? What's going on with that? What would happen is they would offer a a lamb or a, a pigeon for a sin offering and for a burnt offering. But did you notice they don't have that to offer? Did you notice that? Look, look there again. It says in verse 24 that instead of offering what was typically required, they don't offer a lamb, they offer a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. What's going on with that? What, what is Luke telling us there? Again, if you go back and read the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 12, God made provision for those who were poor. If you couldn't afford to offer a lamb, You could offer a pair of turtle doves and pigeons. So, what does this tell us? This Luke's telling us here, Luke's telling us that the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Christ, he came into the world and was raised by two righteous parents who were poor. He grew up in poverty. The wise men with the gold haven't showed up yet. They don't, they don't get here for a little bit. But notice also, if you go back and read Leviticus 12, this offering that they're making is called a sin offering. Now, why is that significant? Brothers and sisters, it's this. Joseph and Mary were righteous. They were, they obeyed God's word, but they both needed a savior. You don't, you don't offer a sin offering if you're not a A sinner. So the blessed mother of our Lord, who is blessed among above all women, she needed a savior. And notice verse 22, they present Jesus to the Lord. They present him to the Lord. This goes back to the Exodus when the firstborn was, as it were, dedicated to the Lord. Now, what's the point of all this? The point of all this is that Jesus is set apart for God. That's what we're learning. That's the if you're asking Mary and Joseph by their actions what are they teaching us in this passage? They're teaching us that this child from his very first days on earth was utterly devoted and set apart for God. That's what Luke is telling us. Well, what is he set apart to do? Let's go ahead and look at verse 25 to 35. While the holy family is in the temple, we meet our next witness, an old man named Simeon. Look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, and he came in the spirit into the temple. So as Luke often does, he begins by telling us a little bit about this man's character. where He's righteous and devout, very similar to Mary and to Joseph. And notice that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That phrase, the consolation of Israel or the comfort of Israel is taken right out of the Old Testament, right out of Isaiah 40. The comfort of Israel in the Old Testament often, almost exclusively, refers to Messiah. When you talk about what was he looking for? He was looking for the one who would bring comfort to God's people, the Messiah. So he was waiting. If you ask Simeon, what's your favorite Christmas hymn? He would have said, "Oh come, O come, Emmanuel, to ransom captive Israel. That was his favorite Christmas hymn. But notice he was led by the Spirit. Do you notice three times in three verses, we're told that the Holy Spirit is ministering to and through Simeon. Look, verse 25, the Holy Spirit is upon Simeon. Verse 26, the Spirit of God revealed to him. This is amazing. He would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. It dawned on me this week, I was pondering that verse. Imagine if you're Simeon, right? Let's say you have family, you're, you're with Simeon and, and you know, you're at like a family reunion with Simeon and he's older and he's just putting away the unhealthy food. And you're like, Simeon, you know, you need to slow down a little bit. You know, you're old and You need to watch out. And he's like, look, Messiah ain't here yet. I can eat whatever I want to eat. Right. Messiah isn't here yet. I'm, 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 I'm immortal until Messiah comes. Verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. So God leads Simeon into the temple. And I want you to just imagine for a minute the scene there at the temple that day. Luke tells us that he went into the temple, not the holy place where the priests were. But this is the word for the outer courts. This would have been either the court of the Gentiles or the part of the temple complex called the court of the women. Those were the two places that women were allowed. These are massive areas. So there's. Lots of people walking around there. There's all the priests coming and going. There's prayers being offered. There's animals being led and uh, eventually going to be sacrificed. There's all kinds of stuff happening. And the spirit of God leads Simeon to the exact location where he runs into Mary and Joseph who have the baby Jesus who are there to present him to the Lord. So this is this God-ordained appointment. I've heard this called before. It's a Presbyterian coincidence. Righteous old man, Simeon, and this righteous young couple meet. And what happens? Verse 27, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law. Verse 28, Simeon took him up in his arms. Now that had to be a little weird for Mary, right? I'm assuming Mary's carrying, and maybe Joseph is carrying it. Some old man you don't know just walks up to you and takes your baby, right? That's kind of odd, right? But immediately, what does he do? He blesses God. He ble- he begins to bless God, verse 28. And notice what he says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So here's the the testimony of a righteous old man. He testifies to us, he testifies to Mary and Joseph that this child who was set apart for God is set apart to save He's set apart to save when Simeon picked the child up and held him in his arms he was holding God in his arms he says he was holding the salvation of God this child is set apart to save notice He says, Lord, you're letting me depart in peace. We're never told that he was old, but we just assume he was old because he's basically saying, Lord, now I can die. I'm ready to die now. You have kept your word. You told me that I wouldn't see death until I saw Messiah. And now he's here and I'm holding him in my arms. Lord, you can you can take me home. That's what Simeon is saying. You're releasing your servant according to your word. Simeon's making his farewell speech to the world. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. The reason he can depart in peace is because he's seeing the salvation of God. What had Simeon really seen physically? With his physical eyes, he saw a Jewish baby boy. But by the eyes of faith, he saw the salvation of God. He saw the Savior of the world. To see Jesus Christ by faith is to see the salvation of God. Now, at Christmas time, I hope you see as we've gone through this opening series in the Gospel of Luke, we can't speak about the coming of Christ into the world and not think about why he came. Luke doesn't want us to separate the manger from the cross. Luke doesn't want us to separate the birth of Christ from what he came into the world to accomplish. Simeon says this child, this baby, this newborn son came into the world to bring salvation, to be a savior. And so that's what Luke is teaching us here. Christmas is all about salvation. There's nothing threatening about a baby in a manger. And that's why we can't separate the manger from the cross. The one that Simeon held in his arms would later be held by nails on a Roman cross. This child would grow up and suffer as the propitiation for the sins of God's people. Verse 31 this salvation, notice, it wasn't just for Israel. It was prepared in the presence of all peoples. Verse 50 or chapter 52 of Isaiah says that God has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. Simeon and Anna both, I think, knew Isaiah cold because no book in the Old Testament makes it clear that when the Messiah comes and suffers and dies for the sins of his people, he's not simply doing it for Israel alone. He's doing it to confirm the promises given to Israel to rescue Israel, but also so that his salvation will spread to Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. And notice verse 32. He says this very thing. Look at verse 32. So don't look at me. Look at your Bibles. Look at verse 32. He sees in this child that a light of revelation has come to the Gentiles and glory For your people, Israel, glory and light. But they're both light images, glory and light. So in the coming of Christ into the world, the light of the world is bringing the light and the knowledge of salvation to not only Israel, but also to the Gentiles as well. Verse 33. And his father and mother marveled, as you can imagine, right? Right. They probably said, give me my child back. Um, They marveled. They marveled at what this old man said about their son. They were amazed. They were astounded. And then Simeon turns his focus from blessing God. He turns directly to Mary and Joseph. And notice what he says. Verse 34. And Simeon blessed them, Mary and Joseph. And notice what he says to Mary. He said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is to be opposed. And then listen to this aside. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. He's going to bring salvation, but there's going to be something else that happens. He didn't, he wasn't just set apart to save. This old man testifies that Jesus is set apart for God to not only save, but also to divide. He came into the world to save, but this Savior will also divide. Notice what he says right there in verses 34 and 35. He's going to be destined or appointed to cause many to fall and many to rise. He's going to be a sign that's going to be opposed or spoken against. Jesus is going to split the nation of Israel into two. He's going to cause division. He's going to cause some to praise him and some to oppose him. Some will adore him and some will speak against him. Remember in the Old Testament, Jesus is called the cornerstone, but he's also a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Jesus was a divider, not a uniter. And you don't have to take my word for it. Just keep reading the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 12, verse 51. Do you think I have come to give peace on the earth? Jesus says, no. I tell you, rather division. We don't typically think about that. That doesn't sound like kumbaya Jesus, right? Jesus was set apart to save a people, but in saving a people, he also brings division. Jesus brings a sword households and families and friends will be divided from one another because of this gospel, because of this Savior. Why? You're thinking, that doesn't seem right. Why? What's the, why would He do that? Look at verse 35. We're told. Here's the purpose. Look at that infinitive. That's an infinitive of purpose. What is it for? Here, to the end or so that... The thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There it is. What Luke is saying in these words of Simeon is this. How you and I respond to Jesus, whether we oppose him or praise him, whether we trust him or reject him, reveals what's in our hearts. The way you respond to Jesus reveals what's in your heart. It's so that the thoughts of the many hearts will be published and made known. Jesus causes these divisions so that the thoughts of human hearts are made known. He reveals to us our standing before God. How you respond to Jesus reveals what's in your heart. In other words, no one here this morning is neutral. There's no sense of I'm just going to play both sides. Jesus. He's not like the Switzerland of religion. He's like neutral. No. We're told in this passage, you can curse him or you will bless him. You can hate him or you will love him. You can receive him or reject him. He will either be your stumbling stone or he will be your cornerstone. Because of Jesus, we either fall or rise. We die or we live. We're damned or we're saved. You're either for Christ or you are against him. You either blaspheme him or you believe in him. There is no middle ground. So the question that Simeon presses upon Mary and presses upon us this morning is, how will you? How will you respond to this child who was born to save? On the last day, the baby Simeon held in his arms will be the one that judges you. He will say to some on that day, depart from me. I never knew you and he will say to others, well done. Good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your master. So if you don't know Christ this morning, we're so glad that you're here. Turn from your sins and trust in Christ. What does that mean to trust simply means to receive? It means to rest in Christ, to receive Christ. It means to stop working and to welcome him, to receive him in the empty hands of faith. He is a gift from God to the world that is received by faith alone. Luke has given us testimony of righteous parents. He's given us testimony of an old righteous man. There's one final testimony that we find in this passage. It's the testimony of a righteous old woman. Let's close by looking at Anna. Look there in verse 36. The testimony of a righteous old woman. What does Anna have to teach us this morning? And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. So Luke concludes this section with another person that looks like that she just stepped right out of the pages of the Old Testament, right? Simeon and Anna would fit right in with the patriarchs and the folks in the Old Testament. They were looking forward to the coming of Messiah, and we're told that she is Oh, we know that she's old. We're told we'll t- we told this in this passage. We're told that she how she spends her time. Notice there. She did not depart from the temple. She was worshiping with fasting and prayers night and day. So the picture of this woman is that she is utterly a holy woman who is devoted to the Lord. She's devoted to waiting for the coming of Messiah. Look at verse thirty eight. It says coming up at that very hour. So the the idea is when this whole scene is happening with Simeon, this speech that he gives, he's blessing God, he's blessing the parents, he's talking to Mary. That phrase in verse 38, Luke's intending for us to understand that right when all this is happening, at this very same moment, Anna's walking up. She was in the temple. She was looking for the Messiah as well. And she overhears what's going on and notice what she does. What does she do immediately? She began to give thanks to God and she began to speak of him, that is to, of, of this child, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So just think about for a minute How many prayers, how many prayers had Anna prayed in the temple waiting for this day? She was a woman of prayer and she was a woman of God's word. The reason I say that is not because I'm just assuming it. Look at that last phrase. To all who were waiting for what? So you'll have to wake up to all who are waiting for what? What does it say? The redemption of Jerusalem. Do you see that? That phrase, the redemption of Jerusalem, is borrowed, again, right out of the Old Testament. It comes right out of what I like to refer to the gospel according to Isaiah. That phrase, the redemption of Jerusalem, it's the same. It's similar to the phrase that Simeon, we heard earlier. He was looking for the consolation of Israel. She was looking for the coming of Messiah. Listen to this passage in Isaiah 52. Write it down in your Bibles. Isaiah 52 verses 9 and 10. Listen to this phrase ready break forth together into singing. You waste places of Jerusalem. Why? Why should why should Jerusalem sing? Isaiah says for the Lord has comforted or consoled his people. How does he done that? Next phrase, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. Those two verses are basically a summary of everything we've seen in Luke 2. And so Anna knows that the Lord has promised through the prophet Isaiah that the Savior would come, the Messiah would come, and she sees him and she begins to give thanks to God for him. And she knows the verses that follow That prophetic promise in Isaiah 52 are these words. How would he bring about redemption? How would he bring about salvation? This servant of the Lord. Or we're told how. Just a few verses after that verse, we're told that he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters uh, and children as well. In the new year, let me encourage you. If you want 2021 to be a year of hope, It needs to be a year where you are in the word of God. Christians find hope in the promises of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So let me challenge you and encourage you and plead with you to read the Bible in 2021. I don't give a rip what Bible plan you use. I don't care if you read the whole Bible in a year. I don't care if you read a Psalm a day or a proverb a day. I don't care if you do uh, what I enjoy doing, pick three or four books and read them 50 times. So there's no verse in the Bible that says you have to read the whole Bible in a year. Now, if you want to read the whole Bible in a year, great, go for it. There's great plans for that. But my challenge to you is to be a people of God's word because What we see with Simeon and Anna, they were looking through the lens of God's word in the Old Testament scriptures, especially. And they had become wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. They were looking for the Messiah. And we are in a very similar situation, aren't we? We are on the other side of the cross and the empty tomb. And where do we find ourselves? Looking for the coming of Messiah. We're looking back, but we're also looking forward to the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior. If you want hope for that day, you'll find it in the promises of God in this book. So in the next few weeks, just take some time to plan and think about how are you going to serve your soul and the souls of the people that you're around By investing and soaking in the words of life. So read the Bible. That would be my application. What's so striking when we see these testimonies of these parents and Simeon and Anna. They they teach us that Jesus Christ was set apart for God to save, to divide. And Anna tells us to redeem He came into the world to redeem his people. And we live, brothers and sisters, between these two advents, between the first and second coming of our Lord. And when God brings his firstborn into the world a second time, praise God, it will not be to deal with sin, but it will be to save all of those Who like Simeon and like Anna are eagerly waiting for Him. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you. We bless your name for, in your kindness, you didn't send us a Pharisee. You didn't send us an angel. You sent your beloved son, the son of your love, to be our savior, to be our redeemer, to be our king. And the Lord Jesus came and rescued us. And you, Lord, have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of your beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of all of our sins. Help us to give thanks today. Help us, we pray, that through your scriptures that we might abound by the Holy Spirit in hope. We ask this for Jesus, our great Savior's sake. Amen.